ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. This is Ignition. Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald. And I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. And we want to launch your own efforts to explain the Catholic faith and to invite others to live it. Before we get into today's topic, we want to remind you that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode, if you We got... might have answers. Well, hopefully we do. But not necessarily. Uh, if you've got ideas for future episodes... We need ideas. Please contact us. There are two easy ways to reach out to us. You can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org. You can also tweet at us, if you happen to tweet, using the Twitter handle at sfdiocese and the hashtag ignition. So again, we do love your feedback. Uh, Again, questions about today's episodes, ideas for your future episodes, reach out to us. So Father, this is the the podcast episode that's like, was almost not meant to be here. Yeah, this is like the impossible, which means it must, it's probably going to be a really good one. I hope so. Even though we didn't pray before. Great minds right there. I'm just thinking the same thing. Uh, We didn't pray Guardian angels say a prayer for us. Amen. All right. Um... We are going to be talking today, after we introduce ourselves a little bit more in depth, if you never listen to Ignition, we'll do so. But we're going to be talking today about uh, the letter to the Hebrews. But before we get into the letter to the Hebrews, let's introduce ourselves a bit more, Father. Excellent. I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. I'm the pastor of St. Paul's Parish in White, South Dakota, in my eighth year, as well as... Oh, I pressed the wrong button on my timer. Oh, that's fine. I'll let you know. Thanks. Yep. As well as the, as I'm the pastor of St. Paul's Parish in White. I'm a misuser of my Timex watch, <laughs> and I'm the director of the Pope Pius XII Newman Center, uh, serving South Dakota State University. And uh, again, Chris Bergwald, director of adult discipleship and evangelization with the Diocese of Sioux Falls. Um, I am also a husband of, what year is this? Okay, 17 and a half years. Um, and Jermaine and I have five great kids, all of them South Dakotans, even though their parents, well, weren't born in South Dakota. At what point, what's your take on this, Father? Okay, yeah, good question. Am I a South Dakotan? Yeah, great question. I would say you are. Okay. You know, um, but like my dad was running for city council in uh, Yankton, born in Minnesota, raised in Minnesota. Actually, no, he was born in South Dakota, excuse me, New Underwood. Out west, and then raised in South and raised in Minnesota. Lived in Minnesota, then came to South Dakota when I was in utero. And uh, I was in college. So I was 18, 20 years old. My dad was running for city council, and his opponent was like, "Well, I'm a Yankton native," you know. And <laughs> my dad was like, uh, <laughs> "Yeah." So yeah, I, well, it's interesting. It is interesting. Um, I'd welcome you as a South Dakota. Thank you, Father. <laughs> Uh, somebody once said, being myself like your dad, a Minnesota native, um, somebody said about us that you can take the Minnesotan out of Minnesota, but you can never take the Minnesota out of the Minnesotan. <laughs> I think that's probably true about every state, but this person was trying to tell me it was particularly true about Minnesotans. I don't know. I am one. It's fish and water thing. I can't tell. Yeah, I can't. I can't tell the Minnesotan in you. Okay. Well, the, the accents uh, diminished over the years. Praise the Lord. Yeah, we got our own accent in South Dakota, I'm <laughs> sure. Right. So uh, back to though to our topic. Um, Father and I have been doing um, an occasional series on the books of the Bible. We started, though, with the New Testament. So uh, we've made our way through um, 
the Gospels. They're actually the Apostles. And through either all or almost all of the Pauline corpus, <laughs> the, yes. the, 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 the body of work, the St. Paul's uh, letters, um, uh, and we'll explain why why I hemmed and hawed and Father uh, uh, chuckled there uh, momentarily. But today we're going to be talking about the letter to the Hebrews. So uh, let's get right into it with a discussion of authorship relevant to the thing we were just exactly. talking about. So here's the deal. Who wrote the book of Hebrews? <laughs> so um, this is formally in the sense of the, the text itself does not identify its author. It doesn't right. say I blank writing to you with such as doesn't do uh, any of that um it's it's a it's not not completely unique among the new testament documents that way matthew mark luke do not identify themselves john doesn't really identify himself as the author of john and so on but uh among at least when it comes to the other letters typically Correct me if I'm wrong here. I'm thinking. I think all of the letters I d- identify Saint, the the letters that we definitely identify of Saint Paul's, John, James. I think they're all. I think they all refer to the the Themselves. author. I think the Jude know. though. I'm trying to think maybe Jude. maybe not, maybe not. Anyway. So this is one of the more unique um, New Testament writings that way, um, in addition to other ways that we'll discuss as we go. But the authorship has long been a matter of debate uh, within the church. So early on in the East, um, uh, Christians believed that St. Paul wrote it. The West denied it. Uh, however, from the fourth century until the 16th century, Pauline authorship became the dominant belief. And Father, I think that's kind of what you're your take is right tradition <clears throat> right 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 <laughs> so the view that no and, and interesting it's everything interesting. else i want to say in this podcast is going to be a quote from a musical by the way you know i before we started recording you were singing i was going to say maybe we should attempt someday a musical episode of ignition <laughs> <laughs> oh good gosh <laughs> no i don't think so you might be able to pull it off me not so much i can maybe maybe we could we, we could do in 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 keeping with obviously the Catholic nature of ignition, maybe we could do it in chant. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> There's real possibilities here. <laughs> There's all sorts of yes. So anyway, um, Father, one thing that that's interesting to me liturgically, uh, just up until probably mm, I remember growing up, even in the '80s, uh, at Mass when uh, Hebrews was read, and we're right now we're reading it in, 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 daily, in daily Mass. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, it, a reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Hebrews. Mm. But somewhere late 80s, maybe early 90s. <sighs> Historical critical. That got dropped, and now uh, it's simply um, a, le- letter a, a reading from the letter to the Hebrews. Yeah. Uh, you and I have talked a lot about the question of authorship. We don't need to spend a lot of time. Our faith no. doesn't hinge on who wrote no. it. Um, but there's certainly, when it comes to Hebrews, the, the, the discussion about whether or not Paul wrote it. I mean, there, there are, there are similarities with other Paul's other writings with Paul's writings, but, but it's also different. So I think uh, apparently today, many see it as the work of a disciple of Paul's, if not Paul himself. Right. I don't know. Do you have anything to add? No, I, I, I just, yeah, I think this, this whole like quibbling of like who does or doesn't write and how we can actually know and what that actually means. It doesn't really mean much. Of, oh, well, except for the fact that, uh, apostolicity was one of the uh, standards by which uh, the can- the books, the candidates for the canon of scripture were measured. 
by the Council of Nicaea. Right, right. But that didn't necessarily mean you had to be an apostle. So Mark and right. Luke weren't apostles, Correct. for instance. But they had to be connected to apostles. Connected to an apostle, yeah. right, yeah. right. Which, as you, so even, so this view that maybe it was a disciple of Paul's would suffice. And also one thing I'm not for sure on, but whether like some of this re-engineering of the authorship of Hebrews or doubting of tradition, whether that comes from maybe a biased reading of Hebrews by those who may reject some of its very Catholic elements. Yeah, that could be. Such as the intercession of the saints, such as uh, transformation of grace, such as uh, right. uh, the high priesthood of Jesus Christ, the sacrificial nature of our faith. Yeah, all things are all things are possible. <laughs> so I just want to protect those things, I yep. guess is what I'm saying, yep. because they're our faith, it, the faith. Amen. Uh, authorship date. We often uh, talk briefly about the date, um, like the question of authorship, unknown, although you can make some educated guesses. But you said uh, you have down like before 70 AD, which would put it in the realm of Paul. Totally. Yep. yep. And the reason why some uh, do date it to prior to 70 AD is because the letter refers to the temple system of so sacrifice. Standing. And why would they? It refers to uh, if the temple, okay, the Jerusalem temple. Uh, Important note here, folks. Was destroyed in 70 AD. If the temple had, st- had, if this letter was written after the temple, after 70 AD, the way it refers to the temple would have been in the past tense. When Correct. the temple was blah, blah, blah. Right. But it does, it refers to it almost in the present in the tense. temple, right. Exactly. And especially if you're writing, to, since it is being written for Jewish Christians, uh, Christians of Hebrew origin, and not only would they have talked about the temple in the past sense, but they had to address this whole idea of the destruction of the temple, which would have been catastrophic and uh, shocking and appalling to Jewish Christians. Right, right. Appalling, really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, too, it would have been an argument for the uh, accuracy of Christian scriptures, too. Right. Because Jesus uh, predicts that one stone will not stand upon another. Right. And for them not to point out, Jesus predicted this and now it happened. So believe Jesus. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's that's an argument that um, is often made with regard to the um, the gospels, the dating of the gospels argument for pre uh, seventy dating in many cases because right. of that. So um, again, the question of date, our faith doesn't hinge on it, but it's certainly um, within the time period when it's historically uh, accurate. Put right. It that way. Yep. Yeah. Um, what else should we talk about, Father? Um, the, uh, uh, well, definitely the target audience, uh, who we're writing to, uh, in here and, uh, um, writing to Jew that not we're writing St. Paul or the author of Hebrews, Hebrews. (laughs) obviously writing to people who are very familiar with, uh, with Jewish, um, ceremonial experiences, Jewish scriptures, a lot of references to Abraham and the fathers who went before, um, and so, uh, whether these are, uh, people of Jewish experience who are becoming Christian or already, I'm, I'm guessing they're probably already Christian though. Right. Probably. Yeah. Right. So probably Jewish Christians, um, a community of Jewish Christians, particularly maybe in Palestine because of ref, uh, reference made in chapter 13, um, possibly in Italy. Good catch. 
uh, we're not sure. By the way, I should say good catch. I didn't catch that. I'm relying on my resources. Well, um, you caught it in your research and your resources, I did. I which did. I didn't catch in my resources. I, research. I just want to point out that a lot of, uh, as with throughout this, this occasional series on the New Testament documents, um, the Ignatius Study Bible New Testament uh, is one of our, uh, Ignatius Catholic Study Bible New Testament is a major source. Also, Mary Healy has a, a really good commentary on Hebrews. Mm-hmm. So Ooh, cool. if this letter is of interest to you, definitely check out those reference, uh, resources. Uh, and then with regard to, I think, the purpose for which this letter, whoever wrote it, wrote it, um, with, with the Jewish community in mind, written to address their doubts uh, and the temptation, which some of them were feeling to revert to their uh, traditional Judaism. And making sure to keep that connection of the Christian faith as a fulfillment of the foundations that received uh, in the Jewish scriptures and Jewish faith. Right, right. right. And the last point uh, with regard yeah, yeah. to purpose. <laughs> this, uh, most scholars today, uh, for a variety of reasons, I th- rightly, I think, um, argue that this was probably a homily mm-hmm. as opposed to a formal letter. And people complain about Oh mine. my gosh. <laughs> Can you... <laughs> I mean, this is a. If you've ever read Hebrews, it's probably theologically one of the densest documents of the New yeah. Testament, um, rivaling, I think, Romans. Yeah. Um, it, it, so it's there's a lot of of. It's meat up there with there. Romans. Yeah. Yeah. So um, not much crystal, mostly meat though. Mostly right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Unlike ignition. <laughs> hey. Uh, speaking of which, Father, uh, let's get into the themes and characteristics. But characteristics but before we do uh, if somebody's maybe joined us midstream uh, this is ignition a broadcast for the new evangelization um i'm dr chris bergwald and i'm father andrew dickinson and we are ta- talking today about the letter to the hebrews if you got questions about uh, our discussion if you've got ideas for future episodes you can email us ignition at sfcatholic.org or tweet at us use the twitter handle at sfdiocese with the hashtag ignition uh, so themes and characteristics of the letter to the hebrews father well, uh, first of all, just a great attention. We talked about this already with uh, uh, the sacrificial aspect of our Christian faith. So a lot of attention paid to Jesus as the high priest and this idea of covenantal theology, of uh, covenantal action of the cross and of Calvary and the resurrection uh, than there is in probably any other New Testament text. Right, right. So if you're if you're curious about what Scripture says, uh, New Testament in particular, about uh, priesthood, and the covenant, um, then Hebrews is definitely a text that you would want to read and study. And if you don't like the idea <laughs> of priesthood or covenant, then you might want to just avoid Hebrews. Cut altogether. out the book of Hebrews altogether. There we go. Like some reformers were looking some at. reformers, some protests. Exactly. So let's uh, take each of those topics and, and spend a little bit of time uh, with them, and then we'll get into some of our favorite passages. Awesome. So Jesus's priesthood. Um, Whoever the author of the letter to Hebrews is, we should just say Paul for this. We just say Paul knowing Thank it's not you. really Paul. Thank you. So um, Paul presents Jesus as our high priest in heaven who offered his blood once for all and who is now interceding on our behalf. Yeah. Uh, he is, um, and Hebrews uh, makes reference to Psalm 110. Um, Jesus is the eternal priest in the line of Melchizedek. Right, so all these different references to this priest who kind of building up in some ways, um, especially in the first part of uh, the first five chapters with a special emphasis on this priestly identity of Jesus. 
Um, and not only to like so, you, you talk about Psalm one ten and the reference to the line in Melchizedek, which is a royal priesthood, a right. kingly priesthood, versus uh, the ironic, uh, not ironic, but the ironic uh, priesthood, and uh, also references to the Psalm. I forget which Psalm it is, but uh, uh, Psalm and oblations or uh, uh, sacrifice and oblations mm. you did not ask for, but a body you have given me. Right, a very key right. idea there, the priesthood of Jesus Christ in that way. So maybe um, uh, just in case, okay, Melchizedek and Aaronic, what? what? Not ironic, Aaronic? Yeah, so Melchizedek is from the book of Genesis. He's a king. His name literally, Malik is king and Zedek is uh, peace. So he's called the king of peace. And he meets Abraham when Abraham finally kind of takes possession of the promised land. And he makes a offering to the most high God of bread and wine. Melchizedek does. Melchizedek does on Aaron's behalf. Abraham's behalf. Excuse me, yes, on Abraham's behalf, after Abraham uh, wins a victory, part of his taking possession of the promised land. And this figure, Melchizedek, then, is someone that, in the Psalms, uh, that David claims for his own identity. How can David have authority over the temple? David isn't a descendant of Aaron. David's a descendant of Judah. Right. And so David's able to have authority in the temple because of his ties. He claims a tie to Melchizedek as the king of Salem, Jerusalem. Exactly. Uh, and the righteous king. Actually, the name Melchizedek means righteous king. Excuse okay. me, not king of peace. Okay. But he's the t- where he's from is from Salem, which is the town of peace. Town, exactly. Yep. 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 Pardon me for getting that detail wrong. So, so uh, David able to refer just as there was the priest king Melchizedek. So he is a priest king, as you said, not uh, because he was the descendant of the tribe of Judah. Whereas the high priesthood flowed through the tribe of Levi, specifically through Aaron's Aaron, line. Yep, and uh, like we see, and this was part of Jesus's claim as well to that tie to Melchizedek when he is. Um, by what authority do you drive the money changers out of the temple? Right. And he makes a claim there to a tie to David in that line of Melchizedek. So this is a a, a priesthood different. And by the way, I think we should make clear, um, Paul is not disparaging the ironic no. priesthood. No, He's showing how in Christ there's it's fulfilled. Right, and that's one of the problems we can get into um, with when we look at any of the Pauline corpus— the Pauline body of work is uh, when he makes these juxtaposition between the old law and the new law, he's not uh, casting out the old law. He's not casting out the old covenant, the Jewish scriptures, the Jewish practices, but he's saying they serve their purpose and now they're fulfilled. Right. Uh, they, their purpose was to point out the Christ and make him known once he came. And now that he's here, we have something else. Exactly. Yep. 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 So uh, we do see though in in letter to the Hebrews. So there is this juxtaposition and the the priesthood of Melchizedek that that line that type of priest is which Jesus participates in is superior to the Aaronic Correct. to Aaron's priesthood. Uh, how well, so? Well, for one thing, uh, Aaron's priesthood uh, had to be passed down by generations, whereas right. the priesthood of Melchizedek. Is one that endures forever, right? And Jesus, in not dying because he rose from the grad, dead, uh, and death has no claim on him, is a priesthood that endures forever, right? Also, it's a superior priesthood because it's a sacrifice. Uh, the worth, the value of the sacrifice is greater than that of uh, uh, bulls and goats, right? Because he offered his own uh, blood as the precious lamb. Um, and also because it's a sacrifice that's offered once for all. Right. 
Right. So a single sacrifice, which is efficacious, it works, it did what it's supposed to, unlike the Old Testament. Which had to be offered again and again. again, again yep. Now, and just good listeners, hopefully you have a, uh, a good theology of your Catholic Mass to know that we do not sacrifice Jesus again and again at Mass. Rather, we make present, again, his once-for-all sacrifice. Right. Crucial distinction. Very because, crucial because distinction. Because that's uh, uh, often misunderstood. Sometimes you hear... Um, uh, other Christians who who maybe know a little bit about the Catholic faith misunderstand the theology of the Mass to mean that we think that Jesus is re-sacrificed. We talk about the sacrifice of the Mass. Exactly. Yeah. No. Instead, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are present again at Calvary, and he uh, represents his uh, very self to and that offering to the Father, and we receive a share in that offering through uh, the bread and the wine, which has become his body, blood, soul, and divinity. Exactly. Anything else with uh, Jesus' priesthood, Father? Well, yeah, I think uh, also the fact that he's without sin. Right, right. Right. And so the Aaronic priesthood, uh, the priesthood from that tribe of Levi, they had to offer atonement for their own sins, whereas our Lord was tempted but never sinned. Right, and and he is ministering now for us in heaven, obviously a distinction between uh, his priesthood and and the Aaronic. And there's a beautiful tie in that way between Hebrews and Revelation. Mm, sure. The book of Revelation, because in Revelation we see this idea that uh, Jesus is presented as a lamb who was slain yet lives. Yep. So it's the idea of the once for all sacrifice, but yet still efficacious and something that we can reach. Right. You know, by the fact that he has his wounds glorified in heaven, but they still remain. Right. And so there's still a connection to him as the lamb who was slain and that we still in some sense have access to it. Amen. So then the second point, again, the, the themes, the, the, the two primary themes of Hebrews, Jesus' high priesthood, and then the emphasis on covenant theology. So we've already been discussing this a little bit, but just to, um, to, to make the, those points again, Hebrews is definitely portraying or presenting the fact that the new covenant is superior to mm-hmm. the old. Right. And again, uh, listeners want to be very careful, not saying that the old is of no worth right. or anything like that, or that it was futile. Uh, but rather it has been fulfilled. Right. And that's why the new covenant is superior uh, because it brings to fulfillment which was promised in the old. Exactly, right, right. right. Uh, specifically, Hebrews make reference to the covenant oaths uh, mm-hmm. made with Abraham and with David. Yep. Again, showing that the, um, the the covenant established with Moses, it, while important, um, it, it, and obviously Jesus is fulfilling that as well, but there's an emphasis here on Abraham and on David. Yep. And so with Abraham, the promise that uh, they would possess the land, that they'd be a light to the nations, and that all would be blessed uh, through the descendants of Abraham. And then with David, that a son of his would sit on the throne forever. Right. Which we see in Jesus Christ. The King of Kings. And again, we're just touching, as we do in this series, we're just touching on some of the themes. um, As we often say in these episodes, um, and we'll talk about some of our favorite passages here momentarily, but we we often say, just read the text yourself. We're just hopefully giving you a couple points to think about. If you're really interested, make reference to those uh, resources that I mentioned earlier. Um, but, But in the end... Um, read the text itself. So, Father, notable passages. Uh, we've got about four or five minutes left. Yeah, so I think, first of all, <clears> just <throat> the beginning of the book of Hebrews is a beautiful, right on this idea of this covenant uh, fulfillment, uh, right from the very get-go in Hebrews chapter 1, uh, in those first verses. In times past, God spoke in partial and various ways to our ancestors through the prophets. In these days, he spoke to us through a son, 
whom he made heir of all things and through whom he created the universe, who is the refulgence of his glory, the very imprint of his being, and who sustains all things by his mighty words, by his mighty word. And so and it goes on a bit from there. Um, but just this idea again of the, uh, of the covenant fulfillment of Jesus and of the new superiority of the covenants that he offers, how he fulfills, doesn't do away with, but fulfills right. uh, the covenants uh, of the past and now brings to an even higher place in that way, that we receive it not just through a messenger. Oh, the word of God said this to me. Jesus is the word. He is the son. Right, right. And so that you'd say this is a very high Christology as well. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, emphasis on who and what Jesus of Nazareth is and what, he's, what he did and continues to do for us. What's another passage, Father, that, that, that strikes you as a favorite? Well, one that I love just from kind of an intercession and a, and a prayer point of view is in a Hebrews chapter four, um, around verse 14 or so. And this is part, I think, where we kind of get a tie into the book of Revelation and this idea of our Lord enthroned in heaven. Um, But uh, verses 14 through 16, I don't know if you want to read them. Sure. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we have not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sinning. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Yeah. And uh, to me, it's such a powerful one in terms of like going into prayer. Uh, I've read this passage aloud for like, uh, groups of times of adoration and praise and worship in that mm. way about approaching the throne of grace uh, of our Lord. And um, so just uh, beautiful, but also tying in with that theme again, we talked about the high priest, the one who's still offering those prayers uh, for us uh, in, uh, but now in heaven, not on earth, not, oh, great temple theme, which we don't have time to go into, but how the temple was an image right. of the heavenly realm. Right. And now Jesus is in the heavenly realm because part of the importance of the ascension that we don't often think about actually from a right. Jewish point of view, from an Old Testament point of view is that Jesus isn't now, well, why did Jesus have to ascend into heaven after he rose from the dead? So he could go to uh, the pattern of all our imitations of worship, the heavenly realm. So going into the heavenly temple, the, yeah, the heavenly realm, which is... Uh, the image, as you said, the pattern for all of our other temples, forms of worship. Right. And we would often think about that, that the Jewish temples were made on the pattern of what they saw uh, from a heavenly point of view. So I think maybe and maybe we'll just stick with that idea to, to wrap up, yeah. um, that Jesus is, is I love that idea, actually. I've never thought about that with the ascension, that um, a high priest has to enter into the temple to yeah. offer his sacrifice. Yeah. Uh, into the Holy of Holies. Yeah. And that's exactly what Jesus did in the Ascension. Right. And you think about, too, like in his death, how the veil of the temple was torn in two. Right. Right. And we often think about that in terms of like, oh, well, now holiness wasn't restrained and holiness has entered into the world. But no, also so that he, in our humanity, as our great high priest, could enter into in fullness the Holy of Holies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's so much in this letter uh, that really it is. I've never taken a detailed study, but but just the, honestly, this this episode has maybe provoked an interest in me. Awesome. Thank you. For glad, it, glad, it, glad it can make you interested in the scriptures, oh, Dr. Bergwald. Wow. Oh. And with that, we will wrap up this episode of Ignition. Again, email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org, or tweet at us, sfdiocese, use the hashtag ignition. If you've got questions about anything we discussed today, or if you've got ideas for future episodes. 
Until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you and your families, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good God. Yes, that's just what the Hebrews thought. Uh, now what's that supposed to be coming out of there? Lightning. Fire. Power of God or something. Thanks for listening. You can find archives of this and past episodes online at sfcatholic.org. Click on Media and then Audio Files. You can also subscribe to the Ignition Podcast in the iTunes Store. Remember to tune in every Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m. on Lamb Catholic Radio at 91.3 FM in Hartford and 104.3 LPFM Juan Diego Catholic Radio in Sioux Falls and on 88.9 FM in Ipswich and Aberdeen or online at lambradio.com.